You're listening to the On Fire Empire podcast, episode number 14. Imagine, you're 11 years old and it's 1975. The Vietnam War has taken its toll on the U.S. economy and psyche. It's taken an even heavier toll on the civilians and military alike in South Vietnam. Just imagine, you're 11 years old and it's 1975. This year, the United States was reeling from a colossal failure in the nation's leadership as former President Richard Nixon's top three advisors, Attorney General John Mitchell and White House aides Bob Haldeman and John Ehrlichman, were convicted for their roles in the Watergate scandal. Imagine, you're 11 years old and it's 1975. U.S. President Gerald Ford had taken office in August of 1974 following the resignation of the disgraced Richard Nixon in the wake of Watergate. And Barry Manilow's hit song, Mandy, went gold, and now it's playing everywhere. Imagine, you're 11 years old, and it's 1975. It's the end of winter, heading into early spring of 1975, and the communist North Vietnamese forces are advancing steadily into South Vietnam. They're taking Hanoi and other northern towns in South Vietnam. And on March 25th, the United States ordered a refugee airlift to remove all of those in danger, with the South Vietnamese army in full retreat. Imagine, you're 11 years old, it's 1975, and you live in South Vietnam, and the bombs are falling all around your hometown. The North Vietnamese are advancing on Saigon, and your South Vietnamese president, Nguyen Van Tu, has resigned. Imagine, you're 11 years old. It's 1975, and you live in South Vietnam, and the bombs are falling all around your hometown, and your mother puts you on a plane, all by yourself, to America. One of the last planes to leave Vietnam before the fall of Saigon. Imagine, you're 11 years old. It's 1975. And you don't know if you'll ever see your family again. What are you thinking in these moments? What will your life look like in the coming years? How will these events change you? How will your view of the world be colored? What lens will you look at it through? Does gratitude come to mind? What is there to be grateful for?
Welcome to the On Fire Empire. Each week, seasoned divorce and business lawyer, mediator, CEO, and surf diva Kelly Bennett will help you discover strategies and smarter paths to big results. As you listen, you may ask yourself, how'd Kelly know I was going through that? It may feel like she's a fly on the wall of your life. She's intuitive, direct, and on point. Kelly brings the amazing lessons from her life's work to the table to set you up for a blazing bright future. We firmly believe lasting empires happen when well-rounded leaders achieve personal happiness, live out their calling, and develop meaningful relationships. Now it's time to hear from Kelly and her crew of experts. Learn some new strategies, challenge your way of thinking, and get juiced about igniting your empire of a lifetime. The information provided in this podcast is for general interest only and not intended as legal advice, nor does it create an attorney-client relationship between you and Kelly. And now, here's Kelly. Hey, it's Kelly Bennett. Welcome to another episode of On Fire Empire. If you're a regular listener, you know that we're in the midst of season two of the podcast, and this season is all about journeys the different life journeys that we encounter. Today, we're talking about gratitude. We're looking at how choosing thankfulness affects your life and affects the lives of those around you. Today, I've got such a special treat for you. My guest today is Mr. Hung Lee. And as you may have guessed by the story at the beginning of the show, Hung was born in Vietnam. Hung Lee currently serves as Associate Vice President and Registrar at Pepperdine University in Malibu, California. Now, my crew and I, we filmed and we recorded this episode on location at Pepperdine in Hung's beautiful office overlooking the Pacific Ocean. If you want a real treat, you can watch the video footage of the interview over at our YouTube channel at Law Love Life TV, and I'm going to link to it in the show notes for you. I think you'll really enjoy it. And now for a bit of full disclosure here. Hung and I went to undergraduate school together at Pepperdine, and we were both in the group of 50 lucky students to live and go to school abroad in Heidelberg, Germany in 1985. In fact, Hung's wife, Corrine, was one of my roommates in Heidelberg. Well, needless to say, we all go back a very long time. It's been about 34 years now. It's hard to believe. So Hung and his wife, Corrine, they currently live on the Pepperdine campus where they got married and they raised four amazing boys. And Hung is one of the most positive, gratitude-filled persons I know. I'm so thrilled to share this interview with you over the next two episodes because Hung Lee, I'm telling you now, he is one of the deepest, most insightful individuals on the face of the planet. I kid you not and smart. He graduated at the very top of our class. So are you ready? Join me for this amazing story. I know your heart will be full and your spirit lifted. So let's get started. All right. Well, Hung, we're so excited to have you on the On Fire Empire podcast. And thank you for letting us invade your offices here at the beautiful university campus at Pepperdine in Malibu. I'm always telling my friends who are learning about our history here at Pepperdine as I'm describing all of the folks that we grew up with here and we talk about you. I describe you very often as Pepperdine's golden boy, really, because <laughs> you become 
become such a part of Pepperdine, and I know it's so so much a part of you, but you're all things Malibu, you're all things Pepperdine. Will you share with us a little bit about your journey from Vietnam to Malibu. I know I know your journey into the US. I, I know it's a, a big story, but I just really want to share that with, with our listeners. So will you you share that? Sure. Well, thank you for sharing in this time with us. Indeed, Pepperdine is so much a part of me and of my family. I often say that you cut me, I bleed orange. <laughs> I believe that. <laughs> yes. And so God brought us here for so many reasons. The journey began back in Vietnam. In 1975, at the end of the Vietnam War, things were very dicey. The Americans had pulled out, and we didn't know what was going to happen with our family. I was 11 years old. One day, my mom came to me and said, Hung, you're going to America. My first response, I remember, was I broke down tears and said, no, I'm not going. The ironic thing about that response is that Growing up, we always played this game called Coming to America. Each of us had a little suitcase, we call it our, our war case, and we would, mom would put things in there, like our papers and things like that, and in case we would have to run to where we didn't know, but we had that. And us kids could take that and we would pretend we were going to America. It was our dream. It was a dream of all the kids in our neighborhood, especially our family, to come to America. This land that was the promised land. This was the land of everything for us. And so when my mom told me that I was to go to America, it was ironic that I said, no, I didn't want to go. Was it because it became real and you had to leave your family? Or what was the hesitation? The reason I said no was because I, I heard her saying, you are going to America. Mm-hmm. She didn't say we were going to America. In all the games we played, it was about us going together. The reason I was chosen to go was because I am the oldest son in the family. And mom explained to me that it was my job to continue the family name. And even at 11 years old, I knew what that meant. I knew there was a chance that I would never see them again. With the bombs dropping all around us, we didn't know who would live, who would die. My cousin had worked for the American Embassy, and he was given tickets for his family to leave. He was given an extra ticket because he had a son who had died at birth, but he had never declared the death, and so he was given an extra ticket. My parents Mm -hmm. found out about it and bought the ticket. They sold practically everything they had and put it all into that ticket so that their son, their oldest son, would get to come to America. And so I came to America, and I lived with a number of foster families. I was supposed to live with my cousin. He became very abusive. And after a year of living with an abusive man, in an abusive situation, I was rescued by a friend who brought me home, who got me connected with the state foster care system, I became a ward of the state of Washington. So you you became a foster child? Yes. And did you speak any English when you came? Yes. I spoke three words of English. <laughs> I, I knew the words yes, no, and bus. I, I knew yes and no before I left Vietnam. I learned the word bus in the Philippines at 
one of our the refugee camps. Oh wow, wow! So you went into the foster care system, and what became of you? Well, in my first foster home, my foster parents helped me find my real parents in Vietnam. For three years, I didn't know where they were, whether they were dead or alive. And through their connections in Vietnam, they reconnected us. And that was an incredible gift. When it came time to go to college, so I, I, I moved to a, a couple of different foster families. And as soon as I was reconnected with my family, it became clear that they wanted to come to America. Mm. And so my new purpose, in addition to continue family name, was my real purpose was to find ways to bring them over. So at the age of 14, I began the process of connecting with different people and finding out ways. And one of the things I knew I needed to do was to go to college, to find a good job, and to, so that I can provide for my family. Wow. So that became my purpose. Boy, you had, a, you had some heavy burdens placed on you from age 11, and then assuming even more on your own when you were 14 with your mission and your purpose to bring your family to the it U.S. It seemed like a burden to me at the time. And even now, it was more of a responsibility and a privilege mm. that I was given the opportunity as a privilege to carry out the tasks laid before me. And so I looked at a number of schools, and there was one criterion I had that I told my guidance counselor. I said, I don't want to go to school in California. Oh, really? I did. That, that, was, that was the one criterion. <laughs> well, well, that's I, funny, so isn't it? I applied it? to a number of schools. And early spring of 1983, my senior year, Mrs. Keyes came to me and said, Hung, I found a great school for you. And she described this wonderful school. It was small. It was a Christian private university. It had a wonderful program in computer science and business. Hung, this is a perfect school for you. And I said, great. I'll apply and I said, Mrs. Keys, what school is it? She said, it's Pepperdine University. I said, where is it? And she said, oh, it's in Southern California. I looked at her and spoke <laughs> and said, you know our deal, right? She said, just look at it. What was the, what was the hesitation for California? You know, I don't know. So many of my friends talked about wanting to go to California, and, and there were so many things about it, and I just didn't want to go. And it's weird, but I, that's, that was my remembrance. So I looked into Pepperdine. I applied only out of respect for Mrs. Keys. Oh, gosh. <laughs> the more I found out about Pepperdine, the more I loved it. And then I remember getting accepted and then going to a reception for Pepperdine in Seattle and finding out the price Back then, it was eleven thousand mm -hmm. dollars for the whole for for each year. Well, I was a foster kid with no money. You might as well have said eleven million dollars. Right. I remember laughing out loud. It was still a lot of money oh, for anybody, huge, really. Yeah, huge amounts. Well, God opened doors. I got received scholarships, and before I knew it, I had I was on my way down to Pepperdine. When I came down. I knew my contribution, the family contribution, was $2,500 annually. I worked all summer and saved $2,000. I was $500 short. Four years later, I graduated from Pepperdine. Mm -hmm. By the grace of God, by the generosity of so many friends, I graduated. I came to Pepperdine looking for 
a great education. What I found here was a family, was a community that nurtured me, that cared for me. And at the same time, it was a community that heard my story and they surrounded me. And through the grace of God and by the grace of Pepperdine, we were able to reunite my family in 1991. And what an incredible miracle that was that that happened. And as this episode is all about a journey of gratitude, um, and we'll get into that in a moment, but I'll I'll bet those who are listening and watching right now can see. I mean, I've always said you're one of the most gratitude-filled people I know, and your your journey's been so incredible. So share with us a little bit about the miracle of your parents finally being able to come to the United States and how that happened. It truly was a miracle. When I went to New York to work after graduation, I met with a congressman and told him my story and told him my desire to bring my family over here. I remember him looking at me and said, you know, Hung, it will either take an act of Congress or a miracle of God for your family to come. And if I were you, I pray for the miracle. <laughs> and that was uh, 1990, 1988. Uh -huh. 1988. Can you imagine if you were being told today it would take an act of Congress, you would know that for sure it, you better get praying. Well, even back then, <laughs> he, he said that. And so I pray for the miracle. Several months later, I heard from the, the congressman who shared with me that there's a bill that was going through Congress that would allow them to work with the, the government in Vietnam to allow people who had been detained in a re-education camp for at least five years to immigrate to America, provided that they had a sponsor in the United States. I was stunned. <laughs> and and the, the reason I was stunned was because my father was detained in a re-education camp for mm -hmm. six years after the fall of Saigon. The communist government imprisoned him. And most people were detained for a year or less. But dad was detained much longer. And the reason for his detention, this extended detention, was he would not agree to join the Communist Party. Because by doing so, he would have had to renounce his faith, his Christian faith. And he wasn't going to do that. He wasn't going to do that. Wow. And so because of that, he was detained for six years. His, so his faith commitment, his stubbornness, wow. was the very thing that, allowed him and the rest of my family to emigrate to America. It took an act of Congress and the miracle. <laughs> and it happened. Yes. And I'll bet you you had just mouth wide open over the fact that really what you described was a very narrow group of people yes. in narrow circumstances that could possibly meet those requirements right. to get the ticket. Right. There was no wow. coincidence there. That was clearly miraculous. The beauty of these miracles is that God was working. At the same time, my father's faith was being lived out. It's not one-sided. Mm -hmm. It is a beautiful dance between the creator and the created. Oh, absolutely. And how you could not see that looking back, but you couldn't know it in the moment right, when it right. was happening. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. So... 
you said you graduated from Pepperdine and went to work in Manhattan. Yes. Tell me about that. And how did you transition? You went from, you know, the right coast back to the left coast, right? <laughs> yes. Well, I lived in Manhattan for three years. The, the last year, Corinne and I were married. And it was one of the best experiences of my life was working and living in Manhattan. Mm -hmm. Thrilling. But when I found out that mom and dad and my siblings were on their way, I knew that I had to make a change. I was working 60 to 70 hours a week. Mm. It was an incredible experience. But my parents, I knew that I, I needed to be av more available for my family. And plus, the climate on the East Coast would not have been <laughs> conducive for, for a family just arriving in Vietnam. There were a lot of reasons why we needed to come back to the West Coast. Hmm. And our friends and families here at Pepperdine opened doors for us to return. We came back in fall of 1990, and we've been here ever since. And when you came back in 1990, did you start working for the university then? Immediately, yes. I began working in the student life area. I have loved every minute ever since. And here you are now an associate vice president and head of the registrar's office, yes. right? Yes. And I, I take it from the big smile on your face here in your office that you love what you do. I mean, it just seems I like do, you're... <laughs> I do. I, my, my life and Corrine's life have been transformed in this incredible place, mainly because of the people. You know, our experience as, as students was so transformative. It was. It was life-changing, wasn't it? Yes, definitely. And so we've committed our lives to be engaged with the students. Whatever position I'm in, I want to be there for the students, with the students. And Pepperdine has allowed me to, to do that. Is your life's work here at Pepperdine, I get the feeling that there's a lot of pay-it-forward happening for you with the, speaking into the students' lives. You know, it is such an incredible blessing to be here. It is all about being a part of their lives, to see the hand of God working in, in their lives. So many of our students come here, like, like myself, looking for something, and they find that what they were looking for was so small in comparison to what God has in store for them. I've often said, that this is holy ground for me. Yes, and that's one of my favorite things about you is I've heard you say that a number of times. So I'm please share that. <laughs> what when, do you mean you know, by that? When God met Moses at the burning bush, what did he say to him? He said, take off your sandals for you're staying on holy ground. You see, those grounds were just normal grounds. It's just a place. It was the presence of God. It was the meeting that made it holy. For me, I met God here. I met God in such real and powerful ways. And so for me, this is holy ground. And so when our students come here, my constant prayer for them, my consistent prayer for them, is that this becomes holy ground for them, that they come to see God, to meet God, that they will have a burning bush experience, and that God will become real, even more real to them. Mm -hmm. And so that is my prayer for them, and that is how we live. Now, with respect to a burning bush experience, and, and I get what you're saying, because the, this place is just drop-dead gorgeous, and we're in Malibu, and we've got the ocean, and so 
students, I want to call them kids now, but students, they do want to come here for so many different reasons. And the Holy Ground experience may seem like a small reason, but I think I understand that there's so much more when you talk about Holy Ground and that this is a place where you come to know the creator because of the depth of your experience. Share with us, because you you live in such a place of gratitude now. And it, you said your dad was in prison because of his faith yes. and he would not denounce his faith. And so it sounds like you grew up in a home that was a home of faith. Tell me a little bit about your faith journey and what what made coming here that burning bush experience for you? Because the question would be, well, weren't you raised in a family of faith? Tell me about that. Well, yes. In Vietnam, I was raised in a very devout Catholic family. Mm -hmm. As long as I could remember growing up, my life goal was to be a, a priest. I was always most comfortable and most at peace and most joyful in worship. I went to to Mass every day. Once I was able to go by myself, I went every single day. I had an older brother, and so as a second son, I had no real responsibility. And so being a priest was a wonderful thing. Continue the family name, that was my brother's responsibility. It was his job. (laughs) A year before, it was in 1974, my brother drowned in a a swimming accident. In that moment, I became the oldest son. I remember at my brother's funeral, my mom came up to me and said, Hung, you have two younger brothers. You may still be a priest. Even at that moment, in that pain, mom still thought of me. Well, when it it came time for me to leave, mom said, you may have to make a change. So my life from the very beginning was always centered on my relationship with God. Mm -hmm. And it was at that young age, I learned to revere him. I learned to see him as bigger than life. As I came here to America and and lived without the comfort and security of my own family, my faith grew in different ways. But that was a really dark period of time. In my sophomore year, I had just moved to a new foster family. I received word that my sister, one of my older sisters, had escaped Vietnam, had died on the way. I will always remember that night, it was one of the most painful periods, pain, one of the most painful moments of my life. Oh, of course. And this was when you were a sophomore in high sophomore school? Sophomore in high school, yes. And still had no family here. Right. I had known that she was unhappy there. I also knew that she wanted to come to America. But I remember telling her, be patient, wait. I am in the process of working it out. And I prayed, I prayed, I prayed, God, keep her safe, keep her safe. And so when I received word that she had died, my world just fell apart. And I remember the the first night of hearing the news, I remember weeping. And my morning time, I continued to cry, but I cried with dry tears. Literally, my tears were gone. So I went from this extreme pain, and I remember being even physically in pain. I remember I, I touched my hair and it hurt. I went from the extreme pain in the morning I went to this numbness. And then from this numbness, I went to this extreme anger. I was angry with my parents for letting her go. I was angry with myself because somehow I had caused her to come because I just changed families. And she said, I will come and take care of you. Mm. I was angry with her for dying. 
I was angry with the communist government for having created such a system, such a, an environment that was so oppressive that my sister couldn't live there anymore. But most of all, I found I was angry with God himself. I remember having this shouting match in my head with him. What did I do wrong? I remained faithful to you. I went through hell and never cursed you. My cousin beat me and I still pray to you. All I ask is you keep my sister safe. And this is your answer to me. So did you, I mean, you were clearly just as angry as could be at God. Was it an extreme sense of betrayal? Yes, and disappointment. And all these things just came together. And I remember saying, I'm done with you. How can there be a good God? How can you be good when this happened? I mean, there were so many things that went through my mind. And so for the next few months, I was in one of the darkest periods of my life. God was not in my life, or so I thought, or at least so I tried to be. The most painful part during that time, as much as I tried to deny his existence, was that I knew that he was still there, that he was still alive while my sister was still dead. I was trying so hard to punish him, to run away from him. And so I was in a really, really dark place. Sure. And my best friend from high school, who was an atheist, or maybe perhaps an agnostic at the time, came to me in October of that year and talked to me and, and tried to talk to me. And he said, so Hung, what's going on? You're completely different. Because I, I was this, you know, vivacious kid who loved school, who loved life, and all of a sudden, I just went dark. There was a complete shift. Going complete on. shift. Wow. And I said, you know, my, my sister just died. I, he said, well, no, there's something more. And he kept pressing, and he kept pressing. And I remember saying to him, I'm just so pissed off. This good God, and it's, it's dead to me. And I just poured out my soul. And I remember him just sitting there, just listening. Just, he didn't say a word. And after a long period of time of me just spitting out all this anger, I will always remember what he said to me. He said, Hung, if you believe in God, which I believe you still do, you must believe that he works on his timeline and not on yours. How interesting. This is a sophomore in high school. Who is agnostic, agnostic or, or atheist. atheist. Wow, that's profound. Oh my gosh. It struck me like a bolt of lightning. And that night, I went back to my room. It was the first time in months that I cried. I cried real tears. And I remember that night saying to God, I don't know what to do. Okay, so I'll bet you're dying to hear what happened next between the young, heartbroken Hung Lee and his atheist friend. We'll pick this up next week as we conclude the interview with Hung. You're not going to want to miss next week because if you thought this was good, the second half of this interview is even better. Hung and I discuss how gratitude became his way of life as he headed into his adulthood. And you're going to hear about the recent Woolsey wildfire here in Southern California that nearly destroyed all of Malibu. And Pepperdine, it was right in the heart of that fire. You're going to hear about how gratitude continued to play a role in that situation. And Hung was front and center. 
Hung also talks about his approach to gratitude when really bad things happen to good people. We're talking about Hung's role with the parents of Elena Housley. Elena was the Pepperdine freshman who lost her life in the mass shooting at the Borderline Bar and Grill in Calabasas. This happened right at the start of these horrible Woolsey wildfires. So you can imagine the Pepperdine crew was in full trauma mode. Believe me, you're going to walk away with some amazing insights on how you can make gratitude a significant part of your approach to life. Oh, and you know what? I'll bet you know someone who could really benefit from Hung Lee's words of encouragement and his inspiration. So if you do, turn him on to this podcast and these episodes, won't you please? And while you're at it, please head over to iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe and leave me a review. This really helps get our content out there to those who need it. And if you think you need some help on how to subscribe and leave a review, you can head on over to lawlovelife.com forward slash 014 for episode 14. lawlovelife.com forward slash 014. There's an easy link there with all the info you need. So friends, I really appreciate you listening and appreciate you partnering with me to spread the news. I thank you from the bottom of my heart. And until next time, live with gusto and ignite your empire. Ciao.